Hello, and welcome into the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tepitabai, joined this week by Dr. Justin Quinn. Alex has the week off. We're going to jump right into the lab portion of the programming because this week we have a very special guest. Bryce Wheeler is a disability consultant and the founder of the Beautiful Lives Project. We've been excited to bring Bryce on for quite a while, so let's give a warm Celtics Lab welcome to Bryce Wheeler. Bryce, how are you? Hey, thanks for having me on. It's uh, Weiler, actually. Weiler, excuse me. How are you doing, Bryce? Good, good. Glad you to be on. And... Yeah, I tend to mispronounce people's names. It's kind of a brand I'm curating. Um, so, Bryce, we, we know that you are not only a disability uh, advocate, but also a huge sports fan. So uh, we want to get into the intersection of those two things. But first, can you tell us a little bit about the Beautiful Lives Project that you're part of, kind of what your mission is and where you guys are at in the world? The Beautiful Lives Project works to give people of all disabilities the opportunity to experience programs in sports, art, cheerleading, dance, ballet throughout the country, really giving people with disabilities the opportunity to connect with sports teams, playing on the court with a high school, college, or professional basketball team, learning basketball skills from players and coaches could be at the high school level, the college level, or professional level with some uh, G League teams or may have some NBA teams doing those types of programs at some point this upcoming coming season and it really changes the lives of the individuals with disabilities to be able to meet these players and coaches and to develop lifelong friendships and bonds yeah that that sounds tremendous could you tell us a little bit about kind of how the project got off the grounds and when and how you became a part of it I became friends with the former owner of the New Britain Beast professional baseball team, Anthony Icavone, and Anthony gave me the opportunity to be the co-founder of the Beautiful Lives Project with him. We've been working since May of 2017, and we'd love to have anyone to help us out in the Boston area or anywhere throughout the country. They can go to our website, which is www.beautifullives.org, beautifullives.org. They could also email me at Bryce at beautifullives.org, B-R-Y-C-E at beautifullives.org. All the money that we get from donations, all those funds goes to purchase new items for events across the country, such as basketballs with bells in them. So people who are blind can can learn how to shoot uh, clickers that you can put on the backboard. Sometimes we have to hire a sign language interpreter because we have individuals who are deaf coming to our events. So that's what all of the funding from donations and our grants goes towards. Sure. I, I really hope our listeners uh, go ahead and check that out. Um, and perhaps you could tell us about uh, one event that you host in particular that might be really pertinent, the, the Count of Dreams event that the Beautiful Lives Project hosts. So if you could tell us about Count of Dreams and then other basketball-related programming. Give us so we've had, we've sure, had court, court of Dreams programs with the Texas Legends, the Erie Bayhawks, the Windy City Bulls, Jamie Dixon's Texas Christian University men's basketball team, Tasha Pointer and her Illinois-Chicago women's basketball team, along with Steve Donahue and his Pennsylvania Quakers men's basketball team. So at each one of these events, we bring about 30 to 35 individuals of all disabilities. It's typically a combination of adults with disabilities as well as children who have disabilities because we think it's important to give everyone the opportunity to participate together because they can create lifelong friendships and bonds. We'll split them up into three to four groups. Well, they'll, they'll go around the court and they'll learn basketball skills, such as shooting, dribbling, passing, layups, anything else the coach might want to teach them. Probably the best one was when I did one with the Erie Bayhawks. We had so many people signing up. We had 55 people 
playing on the basketball court with 13 players and three coaches, we had wanted to cap cap it at 40 to 45, but people just kept signing up and, and we, we just kept on taking them. Now um, Erie has moved their G league team to Birmingham, Alabama. They're still the G league team for the Pelicans. So get to do some things in a new city and a new state this year with my friend, Ryan Panon, who is still their head coach. That's fantastic. Uh, Is that your kind of crown jewel of basketball related programming or are there other ways that, that you guys can support basketball in this community? It's basically giving people with disabilities the opportunity to play on the court with the teams. We are looking to do some Harlem Wizards basketball-related fundraisers this season throughout the country where the Harlem Wizards will come in, do a show, and people can come purchase tickets and buy souvenirs, buy concessions, and all those funds generated will support the Beautiful Lives Project. Fantastic. Very cool. I would actually like to see you guys come down here and do something with the new G League team that we have, uh, the Capitanes, but they won't be playing here for another year in Mexico City. So maybe we can get that going in the pipeline. I think that'd be a really cool program to see down in my, my uh, neck of the woods. That would be fun to assist that team as they're hosting all of their games in the United States this season and then want it safe to move back in to Mexico City, really expanding what the Beautiful Lives Project does into other parts of north america and doing the continent as a whole cool yeah bryce how's your spanish (laughs) i know some spanish (laughs) sufficiente alentar i don't know what justin said but that's okay (laughs) enough to get by (laughs) bryce i wanted to ask you about your relationship i know that uh you've crossed paths with brad stevens and with grousebeck um so specifically i'm wondering if you could tell us you know, uh, you had sung Brad Stevens' praises as a coach. How do you think that will translate to his new job just as a leader? And maybe you could just tell us a little bit more about your relationship with those two overall. I've known Coach Stevens since 2009 when I was a student at the Indiana School for the Blind. And I emailed him and asked if I could have a tour of Hinkle Field House. And he gave me a tour of Hinkle Field House. The two years that Butler went to the Final Four, he cut me down pieces of the basketball net. He's always been a big supporter of the work that I've done with people who have disabilities. He was really excited when he got the Celtics job and have that opportunity to coach in the NBA. I think he has reached a point now with coaching where he really realized that feels as if he has, I guess, learned as much as he can about coaching. So he's ready for the new challenge. And the president of basketball operations of the Celtics is definitely a new challenge and something that he is excited to take part in. Wick Grossbeck, I've known since 2016. Wick does a lot supporting individuals of all disabilities. He has a son, Campbell, who is blind. Wick supports programs for people who are blind as well as other disabilities. So really, it's understanding what the Celtics do to assist and accommodate fans of all disabilities. The Celtics fans should be very proud of this because not every team in the NBA or sports as a whole takes accommodating all disabilities so seriously. Oftentimes, teams will pick one, two, or three disabilities when they won't, and they won't really work to accommodate every disability. And it's important not to leave anyone out. Yeah. Truly. Oh, that's great. I, I, I didn't know about uh, the depth of your background with, um, with Stevens. That's really tremendous. Do you keep up with him nowadays or maybe he's a little busy? No, I talk to Coach Stevens all the time. I mean, awesome. I, I, talk to, I, I talk to Wick uh, a decent amount as well, but I've been 
I've been friends with Coach Stevens coming up on 12 years. So just because he coaches the Celtics or is the president of basketball operations, it doesn't really change as much. We still visit. We haven't got to visit as much in the past three to four months, but we just had a conversation last week and told me he was really looking forward to the new job, excited for the challenge, and really just seeing how the new Celtics head coach will do. Wow, great. Cool. Uh, so, Bryce, I want to ask you, I know that you've done work as a sports broadcaster. I'm wondering if you can tell us how you broke into that field, because it sounds like you're a very busy person. And then also tell us a little bit about your time at the Orioles. I started commentating games at the University of Evansville whenever I was in college, and I commentated over 90 games there by studying the style of the play-by-play broadcaster that I'm working with, figuring out if they tell a lot of stories or they give facts on the players and coaches. I will read up on each team's roster, and I'll also listen to each team's previous couple of games. I'll speak to the coach uh, before the game of both teams. I've now done over 150 games in my time as a blind radio analyst and broadcaster. So that's a little bit about that. And I'll answer anything either one of you might want to ask me about that. Uh, but to my work with the Baltimore Orioles as their disability consultant, I've been assisting them for the past five years since 2016. I've helped the Orioles become the first team in sports to wear Braille on their jerseys mm-hmm. to show the importance of people who are blind learning how to read Braille. That happened during a 2018 September home game against the Toronto Blue Jays. At that game, I assisted and accommodated 150 patrons who are visually impaired or blind to help them get the accommodations they needed, such as food menus and Braille, large print places where their guide dogs could could use the bathroom and drink water, various other items as well. Also assisted the Orioles staff in making their social media accessible for all disabilities. We're also working to hire people of all disabilities for employment and various other interesting projects as a whole. Uh, Well, I actually, I do have questions about uh, the the broadcasting, but just based on some of the stuff that I, I actually didn't know that you were part of the Orioles uh, jerseys. I knew that that had been a thing for a while, but um, do you think that other teams in the MLB are noticing what Baltimore is up to and trying to keep up or are the Orioles ahead of the curve here? There's always been a set list of teams throughout MLB or the NBA who do programs for people with disabilities really well. And sure. teams really don't get added to that list unless say a team gets a new team president or a team owner. There are teams that I try to convince every year to improve their disability type programs. I share with them what I've done with the Orioles, what I'm doing with private sector companies as their disability consultant, those being EverFi, Latch, and Gray Television. And those certain teams just don't want to change what they're doing, mainly because they have the same leadership in place, whether that be the owner, the president, the top four or five most important executives. So I like it greatly when a team gets a new owner, a new team president, or a new top five to 10 level executive in your top five to 10 highest ranking staff members, because those are the people who really make the choices on these programs. It's actually why I branched out into assisting companies outside of sports, because I realized that I was trying to email and convince the same people in sports year after year. And the ones who didn't want to do anything, they never changed their mind, even after they know all the stuff I've done with the Orioles. So that's why I'm honestly not as much of a sports fan as I was before I started doing this because understanding what teams really don't want to help people with disabilities, it just makes it hard to really be excited about the games so much. I mean, I'm excited now for teams who have great disability programs. Uh, The Celtics do, the Atlanta Hawks and the NBA, um, the Atlanta Braves, the Orioles do well, various other teams. So 
I don't think about a team any or a game anymore as say two great teams playing each other, or this team has a star player and this second team is terrible because they've lost 60, 70 games, whatever the case might be. I think about the teams as this team playing this team as a good disability program. Both of them do. And, you know, one team playing has a really poor disability program and they don't want to change. And then the other team in the game has a great disability program. So it's really changed my viewpoint on sports. I don't know if I like it or not, but that's, that's how it is. I can't, I can't go back and learn or not learn or unlearn all the information that I've learned on these subject matters over the past five to six years. Yeah. Once you start getting an idea of how the sausages are made, so to speak, it can sometimes be a little more difficult to be supportive in some areas that you might have been previously once you actually know the footing you're on with these people and the masks are off, so to speak. So I totally understand what you're saying there. And I, think, yeah. I guess a flip side to that coin would be the, the teams that are doing it right. Um, it's, it doesn't necessarily seem like they're doing it for the PR. It seems like they're doing it because it's a necessary and proper thing to do. Um, and perhaps the legal thing to do. Um, so I do, I, I, Bryce, I hear what you're saying in terms of disillusionment, but I, I'm also uh, admiring teams that just based on this conversation, I didn't know were, we're doing important work in that space. So it's a very complicated two sides of a coin situation, I think. I definitely enjoy all the teams who are doing well. And I would say some of them do have children who have disabilities as, as Wick does with the Celtics. Some teams who are doing it, you would have no idea that that would be something that they're doing and their leadership is just really passionate about it. And it's really outstanding. So those are the teams that I enjoy listening to. I'm not going to give you the complete list because if I did, you would then know that the other complete list doesn't really uh, want to do disability type programs. And, and I don't want to ruin people's enjoyment of their favorite team. I've already had that happen to myself a lot. So, Sure. Let's, let's pivot a little then. And then um, I'm going to close with maybe some forward facing stuff, but you do some work with gray television. Will you tell us a little bit about what that is and your involvement there? I'm assisting Gray Television to become more accessible, making their social media accessible for their 110, uh, 110 market stations throughout the country. I'm also helping them to make their website more accessible for people of all disabilities. I'm going to be giving speeches to some of their staff, whether that be live or, or virtual. First of all, thanking them for their service to news and their service mm-hmm. for getting the untold stories and the old and the untold voices out to the country. I think people who are in news and in television are some of the most important people who we've had throughout this pandemic who don't really get the credit they deserve. So speaking about that, also speaking about how the staff can do more stories to highlight what people with disabilities are doing, what they're facing, what they're overcoming, what their challenges are, what they are succeeding in, helping to create those stories, helping to find those stories, just really assisting with anything that that gray television might need. It's something that has never really been done in television before. And I'm really excited that Pat LaPlatney and the other gray television staff have given me this opportunity to assist them, to help them become as accessible as they can be for all disabilities and going beyond that to share and tell more stories of what people with disabilities are doing throughout the country. Sure. Well, to that end, uh, I have kind of a trio of questions. Um, so about kind of looking forward in promoting accessibility and the 
proper accommodation. So first, I just want to focus on sports. So what are, what are some things that either our listeners as fans or people like Justin and I as content creators or entire sports organizations, what do you think are the most straightforward or important ways that sports, this, the entire sports community can promote accessibility and accommodations uh, within the disability community? Well, the simplest one is you don't really, I mean, it wouldn't have to be promoted if the league set a standard for what their teams had to do for fans with disabilities. But sure. getting my friend Rob Manfred, who's the commissioner of MLB, or my friend Adam Silver of the NBA to set those league-wide standards has, has been something that I've struggled to convince them to do over the past five to six years. So if the leagues aren't going to set standards and teams can do whatever they want to, to help and assist fans of all disabilities, I would say, first of all, don't pick just two or three disabilities and accommodate them because oftentimes teams yeah. will get media coverage for what they do for two or three disabilities. And the main ones recently have been those who have learning disabilities and those with autism. So they're creating sensory friendly areas, which are great things to do for those people who, who have trouble dealing with the noise. I kind of like sensory friendly areas myself because sometimes in an enclosed arena, such as a basketball venue, it can be rather loud for me, which is bad for my hearing, but, you just can't forget about the other disabilities, those who are blind, those who are deaf, those who are in wheelchairs. So really assisting them and then thinking about every choice that you make while you make one choice, say, to assist people who are blind, which is putting alt text on pictures so they can know what's going on in those pictures. You have to think about the pictures that you're putting up, whether it be on social media or the websites, because sometimes people who have trouble reading text they need pictures in a certain way, whether it be a certain structure moving from A, B to C, or pictures that have color contrast, or pictures that really tell the story in pictures other than words, because there are certain people who have trouble reading text in this country or comprehending sentences or, or the written words. So every time you make a choice for one disability, you have to think about how that choice trickles down or 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 comes across to a range of disabilities. And my last thing would be always be willing to learn new things and never say that your programs are complete or that your programs are the best in the country, because there's always things you can get better at, whether you know it or not. There's things I can help the Orioles with to get better. Some of which I know how we want to go about with that. Some of which we probably haven't even thought of. So just never thinking that your programs are top of the line, never thinking that there's nothing else you can do better or do differently, because sometimes it's not doing it better. It is doing it differently to help another group feel like they're more included. Oh, I, I love that. I mean, my next question was going to be more broadly, what can people do in their daily lives? I, I suspect you just gave us the right answer, but do, do you have anything to add to that? Just broadly? I do. Yeah. So can always assist someone with a disability if you see someone who needs help and just because he or she might be kind of rude to you that that might be because they develop their disability say blindness or in a wheelchair partway through their life through an illness or a sickness or some type of a, of a tragedy and they might not be well adjusted to that disability yet or they may have trouble comprehending that now they need to have help or that they do need assistance. But just because one person might be rude to you or they don't really need your help, 
you should always continue to ask because you, you might never know when that other person, that second, third, fourth, fifth person you ask, he or she might really need their help. I think back to what Marty Simmons, the former University of Evansville head men's basketball coach, now the current head coach over at Eastern Illinois, did with giving me that opportunity to sit on his men's basketball bench and how that's led me on this journey through sports and this journey of giving back and this journey of of helping others. No other coach wanted to really let me do that, but Coach Simmons did. It wasn't a real inconvenience to the Evansville players, student managers, staff, and coaches, but it's something that changed my life, and it's something that I think about multiple times a day, every day. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that it, it, I, I think in the last, I don't know, I guess 18 months, I mean, it feels like it's been forever, general empathy has been just like completely lacking in civil discourse. And I, I really like how you just framed how logistically uh, important it is among other things. Um, so, so Bryce, I have one last question for you that I, I don't, I don't know uh, really much about quite honestly is what in the disability advocacy and accessibility space uh, is happening right now that you're really excited about or you think is really making a, a difference uh, that you are noticing is trending up? I'm enjoying seeing more companies really want to do these types of programs. There are global groups that companies can join. Those are the Global 500, which is a group of 500 companies that are wanting to hire people with disabilities for employment. Also, Disability In, which are countries based throughout this country. United States, maybe some in Canada, but mostly throughout this country. So there's those groups, just more people being willing to learn these programs and being willing to learn. And I think that's that's really happened with some of the struggles that this country has been through in the past year and a half with the unfortunate violence and then the things that we've went through with the pandemic. People, they've really realized what it's like to be at home and to not have friends or not be able to see your friends or not be able to go where you want to go because you have the virus or you're stuck in the house or whatever the case might be. And people who have disabilities have been experiencing those things for years. And for the longest time, the, the world of people who don't have disabilities, they never really understood what that was like, but now they've had an understanding of all those items for more than 18 months. Cool. I love that. I hope that I really hope that you are right about that. And I, I suspect as such. It would be a nice, uh, I don't know, I guess you could say return from all this crap that we've been going through for some time. If we could find some empathy for each other out of it, you know, seeing as it's been sorely lacking for quite some time now. Yeah. So Bryce, I want to, I really want to say thank you so much for, for your time and for coming on. Can, can you tell the people one last time where to find your stuff and how to get involved? Yeah, so our website is www.beautifullives.org. Anyone can go on there, watch some of our videos and pictures. We're going to be really restarting and ramping things back up next month. We could definitely use any funding or donations they might be able to give us as we're really trying to get some great events going where we have to purchase some items. We also need some sign language interpreters. So funding could really help us out or even some help with, with obtaining grants. So they could um, email me, like I think I said before, at Bryce at BeautifulLives.org. They could follow me on Twitter if they'd like. My Twitter is at Bryce Weiler, at capital B-R-Y-C-E, capital W-E-I-L-E-R. They could also connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search Bryce Weiler. B-R-Y-C-E-W-E-I-L-E-R. My current LinkedIn byline is Gray Television Disability Consultant. 
Um, that should stay that way for at least a couple more weeks. I may have some more companies I'm helping. So I always try to put my most recent one up there for a few weeks till I, till I obtain the next one, but really just thankful for what uh, you, Cameron and Justin, uh, both of you do really highlighting the Celtics, Brad Stevens and, and, uh, Whit Grousebeck have really meant the world to me. So it was an honor to be able to come on your podcast to speak about two men who've really been influential to my life and influential as in what both of them do to assist and to help people of all disabilities to live, live their dreams and eradicate barriers and stereotypes. Yeah. Well, truly the pleasure is all ours. This was, this was really great. I'm glad we did this. We appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Bryce. Thanks again. All right. Thanks again to Bryce Weiler for coming on the podcast. Be sure to check out his work at the beautiful lives project and we wish him all the best of luck in what seems to be a very busy <laughs> set of projects. Good for Bryce. Uh, Justin, you and I are just going to go around the dial and take a peek at the week's news as we like to do here. And I wanted to start with the Jalen Brown undefeated uh, interview. With, is it Mark Spears? Mark okay, Spears, yes. Indeed it was. Yes, Spears. Uh, so he, he talked about a lot of things. Um, he talked about advocacy in the NBA. He talked about his arm, but he really talked about uh, black visibility on the sidelines of the NBA, um, specifically the Udoka hiring, the conversations he had with Boston, and kind of his point of view overall. So, um, Justin, just like what were your what were your rapid reactions to that? Because I thought it was a really really interesting piece. I appreciated the fact that he didn't really care what the reasoning was for the Udoka hire. He was just happy that it happened. He was pretty excited about that. And for me personally, I think one of the most exciting things is he really sounds like he's ready to go for next season and excited about seeing what his potential is next season. I think those two things together are both really exciting but very different prongs to take away from that article. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's consistent with the conversations we like to have is that basketball is cool, but also it's a reflection of culture. And, man... I don't mean to be ageist, but he's only 24. So as a basketball player, he's going to get better. Like that's just how bodies mature and grow and how minds mature and grow. But as a leader and a a thought leader and as a just advocate, it's not impossible to be this on the ball at 24, but it's just such a great, great person to have in Boston's orbit. And I, I occasionally some of his like fashion choices or, um social media posts he tells on his age a little bit which he's bit. allowed to do i'm not, again i I'm, I'm you don't want to see me when i was 24 years old dear yeah. lord no <laughs> and again i'm not that much older than him i mean my frame is is not that different but in moments like this it's just man he's such a a really special dude to to be able to root for and um to have I don't know. Agitating feels like it has a negative connotation, but nah, that stuff needs to be agitated for agitate away. Yeah. And speaking of which, I mean, I don't know if this was always going to be the case, but uh, right now half the coaches in the NBA are non-white. And I bet the status quo probably wouldn't have created that. I think it did take people really standing up for what is right and what is proper, least of which, as Jalen points out, or as Mark points out, it's a it's a league that's seventy five percent black, and maybe its sidelines and front offices should 
more closely mirror that. You would um, think that since the last high point, this is the most uh, coaches of color we've had in the league since 2012. And you'd think yeah. that over the last decade, that number would just keep increasing, but it's actually grown the other direction until very recently. So yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, even in Boston, there were questions about fairness and equity and hiring Stevens to the front office. I mean, it's not, he's not a public employee, so there's not necessarily rules, but the visibility of. It's just kind of a, it's kind of a bad look to, to launch this massive commitment to racial justice and then completely skip the line basically in your hiring process. So yeah, totally. And, and it didn't come up in the undefeated piece, but the athletic was writing about the turmoil in, in Minnesota and there was, there were statements about, hey, you have unequitable hiring practices. And the outgoing general manager, Rosas, basically was like, look, that's an Indian guy. This is a black guy. What are you talking about? And when race and diversity are transactional like that, I think it's it's pretty damn ugly. And Jalen makes that point in the undefeated thing. I mean, he says, as such, you know, I kind of want it to be an appeasement thing. But also, these are talented people that need to have these jobs. And I don't think for a second anyone thinks that Udoka was not a long time coming to be a head coach in the NBA. Um, and yes, he is a black man and that is important and irreducible, but he's also deserving of the job too. And, and those are two complicated thoughts and Jalen delivered it way better than I ever could. So No, he did well with it. I think the thing to remember with this structural aspect of his people are always like, well, the more, the more, uh, qualified candidate should just get the job but you can't get the job if you don't get in the room right right and the tendency for these hires is just you hire the person you know you hire the person you're comfortable with and that's exactly how brad stevens got that job so in in my mind that is exactly why even though it's understandable and even perhaps excusable maybe he really would have been the best candidate in the room at the end of the day but you got to get the people in the room because even if you don't hire them, getting that into the new cycle improves their chances for the next job that comes up. Sure. I'd be so curious and I don't mean this to be tokenizing or patronizing, but if Becky Hammond was here where she would come down because uh, there are maybe not enough, but there's plenty of racial diversity among coaches in the NBA, but in terms of gender diversity, we're not there yet. And I wonder if, you and I are not qualified to say wholeheartedly. No, but I mean, historically speaking, who got the right to vote first? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, a bummer of a good point you raise. Um, but that, that wasn't the point of bringing this whole up. It was really a point to celebrate uh, Jalen and to, I mean, all our listeners already have homework and that they're going to check out Bryce's work. But after they do that, they should check out Jalen and uh, the undefeated because that was Really good. There's there's a lot of crap being written in the offseason, including by yours truly over at Off the Glass Basketball. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> Just in the cough button. Uh, all right. So from the important and notable to the clickbaity, um, let's talk about a few things that have just been in the news. Uh, ESPN had some coaching coach of the year projections, and they had Udoka number three behind Spolstra and Nash. Uh, and they also predicted that Boston will finish sixth. So rapid reaction to both of those things. Six feels too low. Um, they might be being a little optimistic for Udoka. He is a first-time head coach, and it is a different job, but it would not surprise me at all if he does end up in about that range again. 
I mean, they're related thoughts, right? If Boston does way better than sixth, of course he's right there in the conversation. If Boston is sixth, is it that interesting of a story that suddenly his coaching is on display? I mean, knock on wood, barring a big injury, you could, you and I could make the sixth seed in the Eastern conference. I mean, it's not like a, a great accolade. So uh, I think Udoka has a chance because it's a team that was really a dumpster fire last year, a team that I think nationally a lot of people like to root for because of Tatum, because of smart. Um, I hope because of Jalen and I guess they're up against certain odds that they're not supposed to be particularly good. And I could see for whatever it's worth. I mean, we're not going to spend too much time on this. I don't know that Brooklyn or uh, Milwaukee really need to win a shitload of games. Pardon me. Such that Boston, if if they're really sprinting, if they are really just trying to click and they do click, they could win a sizable amount of regular season games, which doesn't say much about their contention, but. I mean, like, it doesn't look like Philadelphia is going to be in the best shape, shall we say, to start the season, (laughs) pending some big surprises popping out of nowhere. And really, I think that all Udoka needs to really be a serious contender for Coach of the Year is to be in range for home court advantage. If If he can pull that off with the Celtics, I think the narrative turnaround from last season will be enough. Do you want to do two minutes on Ben Simmons? Uh... Okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't need to. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I'm super interested to see where this is going to go. The the biggest thing I can add to the conversation uh, is something that Alex and I were discussing on Twitter not too long ago about how he should just basically pick up the Andrew Bynum method of just launching the ball every time it touches his hands. (laughs) And they'll ask him to uh, go back away from the team pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, I so I did write about training camp dramas for off the glass basketball. And um, you tell. Jimmy, Jimmy Butler paid, played 13 games with the Timberwolves after that whole fiasco. So I don't really know what's going to happen. Um, I suspect he'll get traded first, but it's not out of the ordinary. I mean, it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for him to actually suit up. And if he takes the ball and throws it into the stands, amazing. And he probably, he probably won't hit his target because he's not very accurate from deep. All right. Uh, another silly ranking thought experiment uh, from Sports Illustrated raised, ranked the top 100 players in the NBA this upcoming season. Al Horford and Time Lord did not make the cut. Marcus Smart was number 60. Jalen Brown was 27th, also the, the rank that ESPN gave Jalen Brown. And Jason Tatum got 13 from SI and 14 from ESPN. So pretty consistent. Uh, I, I know what you think, but why don't you tell the listeners what you think? I think they're pretty accurate. I think that Smart should be ranked higher because of what we know he can do when he's not hurt. But last season, he was hurt. So it's kind of hard to, you know, give him credit for something we haven't seen yet. The the elite of the NBA got a little bit better. So in most estimations, Tatum kind of dropped back a little bit. This is consistent with all NBA voting. It's, you know, you can quibble about the positions, but I mean, it's just a thought experiment. It's very subjective, so I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not a very interesting thought experiment from my point of view. And I mean, there's a reason that our friends at the Winning Plays podcast named their podcast that, that Marcus Smart produces winning plays, probably more than uh, the 60th most winning play producer in the NBA, uh, Smart is. Um I really wish we had recorded 
a few days ago when this George Washington, John Adams thing was happening. And maybe oh, indeed. we will revisit that with Alex, but boy, did I have fun with that. Um, so yeah, rankings are silly, but a weird currency of NBA content. So I won't say too much because I'm sure you'll have to do it <laughs> like next week or something. Uh, another thing that's been pertinent, and then we just have some kind of like bookkeeping stuff, has been chatter about the double big lineup that the idea is that at the very least opening night, Al Horford and Robert Williams take the floor as starters together. Uh, I have a strong opinion here, but again, I'll let you go first. What do you think? I'm happy that the general media consensus is not looking at me like I'm a four-headed monster anymore when I said that this is going to be a better version of it. I am not saying this is an optimal lineup, but while we have Al Horford on the line, in the lineup and we have Time Lord in the lineup, they both deserve a fair amount of, of minutes that are going to require them to play alongside each other. It's just going to have to happen. Yeah, see, I, I, I really disagree. I think that there's going to be some matchups where especially oh, in the it's not an every night thing. definitely not no agreed no of course um so some matchups just some teams are big and it's worth paying attention to unless you figure out how to be the pace setter and that that might take time but i don't think that robert williams or uh al horford have that much gas in the tank right now i don't think that they should play that much in a given night they should play 25 minutes a game not 35 Oh, to start, so, absolutely, yeah, no. Sure. So I think staggering them makes way more sense than trying to play them together just because they don't. the Celtics don't really have that many backup big men opportunities or players right now. So uh, for me, I don't think it's sacrilege for them to play together from like an X's and O's perspective. Uh, but from save Al for the postseason and make sure Robert Williams is a healthy person, from the get-go, I wouldn't lean heavy on it save important matchups like probably the Knicks on opening night. Um, so I appreciate people's flexibility and in incorporating that into their uh, worldviews, but I, I hope that we don't see much of it just from like a health and minutes management standpoint, not from like a basketball fit standpoint. I don't think we're going to see too much of it, but now when people hear the words double big, they just revolt. So quickly <laughs> i think it's it's also a bit of damage control fair enough all right uh we have uh, a little bit about assistant coaches and training camp invitees so before we get to that because we might lose a, a listener or two if you haven't please uh like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you found this podcast it makes a huge difference to us so thank you in advance but for those of people, for the people who haven't closed their podcast apps, let's do it. And actually, here's a little gift to you, Isaiah Thomas, perhaps to sign with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, it's been reported that there is interest on both sides and that also Avery Bradley is connecting with the Warriors as well. So I don't know. I could see it. Yeah. I mean, they need more guard depth. Both of those guys could provide it. I don't know whether they're going to be more interested in defense or offense. Uh, but I think whatever one is more appealing is going to be the difference between picking IT or Bradley, because we both know that one, one can't do one and the other can't do the other. Yes. That's, that's true. <laughs> no offense. <That's> guys. <laughs> it is sad to think that the Tacoma boys are now competing for a job, but I don't know. I have, I have off off camera thoughts on, on one of them. Uh, 
there were rumors that uh, is, is it IT would play overseas or is that Bradley? Uh, there were rumors that IT was going to play for CSK Moscow, but he he shut that down on uh, poor Keith Smith's uh, tweet directly on Twitter. So that's definitely not happening. You should go coach at like a prep school in Seattle. I'm, I mean, I can't tell him how to live his life, but I'm sure that he's made generational money, even though he missed out on the Brinks truck. And he's a great basketball mind and personality. And he loves he loves his community. Anyways, uh, ex-Hawk Brandon Goodwin uh, worked out with the Celtics last week. No camp deal, uh, although there was some mutual interest. Theo Pinson, who used to play for the Knicks, did sign a camp deal with Boston. And Gary Clark also worked out with the team. He last played for the 76ers. No word on his deal. And then... It looks like we have a finalized Celtics coaching staff. Let me just run through it. So Emo Doka, of course, the head coach, Will Hardy, Damon Stoudemire, Ben Sullivan, Joe Missoula, and Aaron Miles and Tony Dobbins as assistants. And then Evan Brad, Garrett Jackson, DJ uh, McAlee, uh, maybe I'm saying that right, and Steve Chingang, is, uh, they, those are the player enhancement staff members and special assistant to the head coach, Matt Reynolds. So at least for me, a lot of new new names. Am I right about that? Uh, yeah, some of these were reported on. Some of these are all kind of just like info dump uh, at the end of the off season kind of announcements. Uh, there was there was a time where some of these announcements were coming and you know making a pretty big stir, but they've kind of along with everything else in terms of the news cycle. Like I noticed you didn't swing it to me to talk about the uh, potential camp invites, and I'm glad you didn't because no one really we all know <laughs> they're going to make the second. The, the second two-way slot, or they're not. And um, if they do make it, then maybe, maybe they will contribute to a game or two or three. Yay, that'd be great. Um, yeah, I don't know. This uh, this coaching thing, it's good. Everything's coming together. Media day is going to be Monday. I'm super excited uh, about that. I don't know uh, what else we have to talk about. Oh, wait, we do have one thing, don't we? We do have one thing. Well, I will say... Uh... Media day for the Boston Celtics is indeed on Monday. So if you aren't already, make sure you're following at Justin Quinn with three N's on the end on Twitter because he'll have you covered. I will be teaching my D block intro to econ class at that time, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, I will say it's not super novel thought and apologies to the assistant coaches, all of whom I'm sure are really talented and wonderful. I really like that there isn't like a high profile ex player or ex-coach on the staff that might take away some of the spotlight. I think, you know, it worked in Brooklyn, obviously. I think Steve Nash did fine with a, a star-studded uh, roster of assistant coaches, but I could see that being a distraction and a, a needless one. So, I mean, Damon Stoudemire is nobody. No, yeah, with respect, I mean, all of these guys earned their jobs 10 times over. I don't mean to say that, but they're, I mean, not they're not Mike the Cat D'Antoni, you know what I mean? Not, True. So... I do appreciate that, although I am not contributing too much to the conversation. Um, and then finally, Dennis Schroeder, through his app, I don't know, let fans pick his jersey number, and they selected the number 71, which is the opposite of number 17, the number that he usually wears, but that number belongs to uh, Mr. John Havlicek. So, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> Dennis. And um, can you explain, I know that like fans of a German soccer team were trying to rig the election or something. 
Yeah, it seems like he, I don't know if he went into this knowing it could happen or not, but he seemed fairly okay with it, even though he didn't really want it to happen. Maybe even kind of using it kind of try to spur fan engagement a bit more. But um, one of the biggest rivals to his own favorite team in in German soccer uh, is, I think, called Hanover 96. And so with 96 being one of the potential numbers, there was a significant, though perhaps, you know, he's the one tabulating the vote, so he can just tell us didn't win anyway. Um, but assuming he was playing it all above board, um, no reason not to, then conceivably he could have been stuck wearing the, the hated rivals number all season long with Boston. Well, I think it, um, it's such a timestamp of when Dennis Schroeder became a household name that he has an app. Because I feel like you had to be getting good around, I don't know, like 2015, 16, maybe 17 for someone to talk you into that. Because I can't imagine that that is a popular thing that NBA players are doing. But maybe it's Uber of Instagram, man. What do, you, what do you mean? What, the Dennis Schroeder app? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, on that note, the music at the top comes from Divine Sweater. They're playing a show at DC9 in the District of Columbia on October 1st. Alex, who plays bass for that band, will be back next week. Thanks again to Bryce Wheeler. Weiler? Thanks again to Bryce Weiler for coming on and talking to us today. And Justin, I will see you next week.